ahead and take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 16. That will be our text this morning that we're going to look at. The title of today's sermon is God Knows Your Heart. Earlier this week, I put a Facebook post out and it said, do not, uh, do not get comfortable with the sentiment that said God knows my heart. Don't take comfort, excuse me, don't take comfort in the sentiment that says God knows my heart. A lot of times we use that in conversation with somebody if we're trying to express our motive or something and we'll say, well, God knows my heart. It should cause you to tremble over the fact that God knows your heart. Uh, you know, our hearts are wicked and evil and what God is doing in our text today is exposing the hearts of the Pharisees. And so you're gonna hear that uh, as we go through this sermon. Luke chapter 16, 14 through 18 is our text, and uh, we read that earlier. But let me give you the context, or the context of what is going on. Because I want to give you the kind of the meta-narrative of everything that we've been looking at this far so that we can understand what Jesus is getting at. The meta-narrative of these chapters is talking about eternity. So when Jesus is talking about the lost sheep, when he talks about the lost coin, when he talks about the lost son, ultimately Jesus is speaking about eternal matters. So all of these things are connected to eternity. And when Jesus talked with his disciples about money, that's what we looked at last week. While there are moment, uh, momentary applications Ultimately, there are eternal consequences with regard to how we use our money and how we, how we are faithful with the money that God has entrusted to us. But when the Pharisees heard these things, they didn't hear it in the context of eternity. They heard it in a context of what's going on right now. So when Jesus is speaking these things, and he's speaking in the context of eternal consequences, but they are interpreting these things with momentary or present day application, they're missing the point. And they get furious whenever they talk, they hear Jesus talking about money because their interpretation is that Jesus is messing with something that they love, and they didn't like it. Look at what it says again in verse 14 of our text. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. And that tells you something about them right there. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, they heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Well, it's no wonder that they're mad at Jesus over what he said because they love money. When you love something and someone speaks negatively against it, it makes you upset. I love my wife, and if anybody ever spoke negatively against her, I'm going to get mad. Whatever you have set your affections toward, if anybody speaks against those things, you're going to be mad. The Pharisees are upset because they loved money. The word ridicule that is used here in our text is a word that means contempt. They literally were holding Jesus in contempt. They despised him for what he said about money. 
Literally, they looked at him as their enemy and they began to make gestures of disgust. You ever been speaking and someone makes a gesture? They roll their eyes or they kind of turn their nose up and roll their head back or they just kind of do a little, huh. All those are gestures that are communicating. Without saying a word, you're communicating that what I think you said is foolish or I don't like what you said. I disagree with what you said. So the Pharisees are visibly expressing their disdain and their disagreement toward Christ for his teaching on eternal matters. They are in disagreement, they are disdained, they do not like it. You know, Luke, as we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, has painted for us a picture of what the Pharisees looked like by way of appearance. Doesn't take long to read the Gospels and see that the Pharisees loved to look a certain way. They would wear their long robes. They would have the frontlets that would hang down between their eyes. They would have tassels that they would have attached to their robes. They walked with their, uh, their heads held high and, and, and they, and they uh, gave off an appearance of, of what many would look at as nobility really was nothing more than arrogance. They would make long prayers. They would sit in the honorable seats whenever they would meet in public. They would even disfigure their faces so as to give the appearance that they had been fasting, insinuating to everybody else that they were walking with God. But all of this was to look good in front of the people. It was an outward display. All this was a cover-up to mask their evil hearts and their motives, but they could not cover their hearts before God. Look at what it says following verse 14 there. It says, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. You remember whenever... Samuel went to anoint David and Samuel looked at his brothers and looked at their outward appearance and thought, man, surely the Lord's going to choose this guy. He's going to choose this guy. What did God say to Samuel? Man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. What Jesus is doing here in this text is pointing out that these men, these Pharisees, these religious people, they were working tirelessly to impress others, but no matter what they did to hide their evil hearts, God could see straight through all of that to the heart. They are keeping the law in public, but they are exposed before God God sees beyond all of their tactics, all of their methods. And it's easy for us as we, when we read this, and we understand this about the Pharisees. We read it from this, this perspective that we're here and the Pharisees are there. And when we read it, it's easy to, to think, yeah, God, get them. Yeah, get those hypocrites. Those who are hiding behind their religion or using it as some selfish platform, sick them, Jesus. 
It's easy to do that while we're sitting in our seats singing songs of worship, listening to a sermon being preached. But let me just say something to all of us here. The same truth still applies today. God sees your hearts. He knows the motive behind why you are here. He sees everything. And when we go home and we close the door, there is one truth. I can't see what is going on, but God can see everything that's going on. God can see that you are at church on Sunday singing and taking sermon notes But you have to remember that God also sees you on Tuesday when you're indulging in pornography or flirting with somebody who's not your spouse on social media. God sees all things. He sees what goes on behind closed doors and he sees what goes on even within our own hearts and our own minds. We can look good in public, can't we? No matter what we do to mask ourselves, hear this, God sees beyond the mask. In Isaiah 1, God is rebuking his people because they are only worshiping him with outward expressions. It talks about in Isaiah 1 that they would go to the temple all the time. They would offer all of their sacrifices. They would burn incense to the Lord. They would sing songs of praise to God. They would offer public prayers. They would observe all the feasts that the Lord had set up. They would even lift up their hands to the Lord in praise and adoration. But all of it, according to what Isaiah is saying, was nothing more than a show. Isaiah would go on to say later on in chapter 29, He says, because this people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, while their heart is far from me. Just be honest. Have you ever sang a song where you were just saying the words, but you were thinking about something totally different? Worshiping God with lips but not worshiping him with our hearts. God sees that. And if we're not careful, we can be a Pharisee. We can be guilty of the very same thing that Jesus is pointing out in the lives of these religious leaders. We can go to church and we can sing, we can fellowship with our brothers and sisters, we can serve on ministry teams, we can give generously, we can pray, we can take sermon notes while at the same time our hearts being so far away from God. And if that is true, guess what all of this is? It's nothing but a show. That's all it is. This is nothing but a masquerade. And it's a disgrace to God when he sees his people putting on a show. Look at what he says in verse 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What these Pharisees were doing were they were exalting themselves. They were exalting their their, uh, their prayers, they were exalting their worship. They were exalting their giving. They were exalting their service. But they were only exalting them to men. They were letting men see these things. They were doing it in such a way that it was to be notable by other people. 
And it says this is a disgrace to God. Please understand how we apply that. When a, when a sermon is nothing more than a performance, it's a disgrace to God. When worship through singing is nothing more than a performance. If we stand up here, if Brother Britt is up here to perform, it is nothing more than a show, and it's a disgrace to God. If, if those who are instrumentalists or singers just sing to be seen or heard, if that is your goal, it's a disgrace to God. If we give to be seen, it is a disgrace to God. If we dress to impress, it's an abomination to God. We have to understand that God sees what's behind why we do what we do. We can look good on the outside, but brothers and sisters, God knows our hearts. You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have pure motives. They do what they do because of a heart to serve God, not a heart to be seen by others. So therefore, we need to be pure in our motive. We need to be pure in our motive while we come to church. Pure in our motive when we sing. Pure in our motive when we listen to a sermon. I need to be pure in my motive when I preach, that I'm not preaching for the accolades of men and women, that I'm preaching for performance. I have to be careful with my motive. The Pharisees presented themselves as very religious people upholding the law of God and the prophets. In other words, they were, they were people who lived by the letter of the Old Testament. But actually what they were doing was abusing the law. They used the law to justify themselves. They would wear their robes a certain way. They would go to the temple every day. They used the law. Oh, they would give, they would, they, would, they would give to the poor, and they would use the law to pat themselves on the back. Do you remember whenever the uh, Pharisee and the publican were in the temple praying? Do you remember the story of the contrast of their prayers? The publican's over there beating himself in the chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee is over there saying, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy. I'm better than the most. I'm better than, I know, I know some, tell you what, I know some people going to church, I'm a lot better than they are. Lord, thank you that I'm a lot better than that. You see, the Pharisees would use the law as a gauge to say, look at all that I'm doing for God. And they would pat themselves on the back and it was self-fulfilling. Here's what Jesus had to say. Following all of that in verse 16, he said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Let me explain something to you. John was a prophet and he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. There has never been, I want you to hear what I'm about to say because there's a lot of people going around today talking about their prophet. Look at what it says. The prophets were until John. Now, their prophets today are there people who proclaim what has been said, yes, but there's nobody proclaiming something new. At least it's not, if they are proclaiming it, it's not from God. 
And he is saying here until John, there, that was uh, all the prophets were until, the law and the prophets were until John. And you see, a prophet was one who prophesied about the coming of Messiah. He, he spoke forth, uh, spe- uh, speaking forward. He was telling about things that were going to happen into the future. And he was, all the prophets of the Old Testament were speaking of the coming of Messiah. And this is why in the New Testament it says, all the promises of God, all the Old Testament predictions and promises find their fulfillment, their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. Because they all pointed to Christ. They all prophesied about what they would never actually see fulfilled themselves in their own lifetime until we get to John. John is that Old Testament prophet who is preaching. And you know what Jesus said about John? He said, there's no one greater who's ever been born among men like John the Baptist. Now, what is it that makes John the Baptist so great? Do you know what made him so great? It wasn't anything that he did. It was the fact that he got to prophesy and then he got to see it fulfilled because he saw Jesus. The last prophet and he was able to see Christ and that's what made him so great. He not only got to announce Christ like all the other prophets, he, got, he was blessed to be able to see Christ. And since John, what Jesus is saying, that the good news of the kingdom is now being proclaimed. It's not being prophesied about, it's being preached. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is no longer coming, it's here. That's what he's saying. The gospel is come. No longer is the message about Jesus coming. He has come. The kingdom of God has come to earth. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, while they are trying to entertain the law, they are missing the gospel. There's no longer need to operate. What he's saying, there's no longer need to operate in types and shadows because all of them have been fulfilled in Christ. The gospel is the fulfillment of all that the prophets had preached. And then Jesus says something that has baffled many people. He says, everyone forces his way into it, talking about the kingdom of God. But I believe what Jesus is saying here is that the good news invites people to receive, that when the good news invites people to receive the kingdom of God, there is absolutely nothing that will stop God's people from entering it. It is forcefully taken. They come at it because they long for it. The law was fulfilled with requirements. You had to offer sacrifices. You had to appear before the priests. You had to go and offer incense. You had to do all of these things where you had man as a mediator. But whenever Jesus Christ came, he tore the veil. And all of the requirements and all of the, the, the things that were done to point to Christ, when Christ came, not only did uh, he, while he did fulfill the law, he didn't do away with it. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So don't think that he's saying that whenever uh, Christ comes that none of the Old Testament matters. No, what he's saying, he's the fulfillment of it. He's taken what was a burden and now he has made it into a blessing. He has come to remove the burden that the Pharisees had been placing onto the people. 
Let me digress out of Luke for a moment and go to Matthew 23, verse 4 and following. And listen to what it says, or actually chapter uh, 4, verse 2 and following. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And listen to what he says. Because of the position in which they hold, he says, do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. You see, Jesus is saying they're a bunch of hypocrites. They say the right thing, but then they do something opposite. For they preach, but they do not practice. You ever heard the phrase, practice what you preach? They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Hypocrites. They preach this, but they don't do this. They tell you to do this, but they themselves won't even do this. And so what Jesus is doing by pointing out this statement in Luke 16 is that he has come to remove the burden. It's no longer a burden to carry the law. You see, the news of the gospel is liberating. It is so good that God's elect are overcoming any obstacle to receive it. They are so overwhelmed by the grace of God that they are abandoning their former lifestyles. They are abandoning their sins. Even in some context, they are abandoning their family. They are abandoning their friends and they are taking the kingdom by force. They are, nothing on earth is able to stop someone. So they're coming to Christ whenever God opens their eyes to his kingdom. He is telling them this news is so wonderful. And even though these, these, these Pharisees have become an obstacle, even though they have placed burdens upon the people, even though they stand in the way, they will not stop the gospel. They will not stop what God is going to do in the lives of his people. They will overcome. You know the Bible calls people who go to heaven, you are an overcomer. What did you overcome? A lot. A lot. But do you know how you overcome it? You overcome it in Christ. You overcome it through Jesus Christ. You see, when God opens your heart to the kingdom, you will do anything you have to to get to Christ. There's nothing, nothing that will stop that. And when you get to Christ, guess what happens? Your obedience to Christ is no longer a burden, it's a blessing. Do you know why people on the outside hate church so much? Is because all they see is the rules and the regulations. You mean you can't have sex before marriage if you're a Christian? Man, they look at those rules, they look at those things, and they say, man, how boring of a life is that? Do you know what? When you're a child of God, that's a blessing. You see, whenever, whenever, whenever there are rules presented to someone who is not in the faith, they see that as a burden. They see that as odd and weird, and they see that as, man, why would you do that? But whenever your eyes are open, God takes those things that were once a burden, and he removes that, and it becomes a blessing. It becomes a blessing to be obedient. It becomes a blessing to read your Bible, to pray, to be in church, to sing, to be part of the preaching of the Word of God. It's a blessing whenever the eyes of people are opened. 
It doesn't hurt my feelings if a lost person were to come in here and say, man, I just didn't like that and I don't want to come back and I don't want to be part of that. Listen, I understand. It's a burden if you're not saved. It is a burden. But when God opens your eyes, he will take what's a burden and he will turn it into a blessing. Pharisees were not in love with God, but they were were in love with something. They were in love with money. They were in love with what others thought about them. They were in love with themselves. And their love for the law was self-serving. That's the only reason that they indulged in the law was because it was self-serving to them. And they abused the law. They used the law to attain what they really wanted, which was money and personal pleasure. Folks, I'm gonna tell you, there are people still abusing this today. There are pastors Well, let me take that back. There are men who occupy the position of Moses, (laughs) prophets. There are men who occupy the position of preachers who are not preachers. Men who occupy the office, but they're not of that office. And they abuse it. They abuse it for an audience. They abuse it to get a paycheck. They abuse it because they want to be seen and heard. Many who are gifted and talented, very well speakers and charismatic, can say all the right things but they're not of God. And this is what Jesus is exposing these Pharisees of. This is why he even tells people, they said in the place of Moses, listen to what they say, but do not do what they do. They're hypocrites. They're false. They're not real. And Jesus is showing the Pharisees through this text that while they may look like they're upholding the law with their outward appearance, that the real issue is within their hearts. And he is exposing their hearts. And there is no better way to expose the heart of an individual than to talk about marriage. He says this in verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. God's word gives us very clear teaching on marriage. In the very beginning of creation, God created man and woman. And he put man and woman together in holy matrimony. And he said, for this reason, the reason being marriage, for this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. I like the King James Version on that. It says a man is to cleave unto his wife. That doesn't see like cleaver up like a meat cleaver, but it means to embrace her, right? And he is to hold tight to her and her only till death do you part. That was the way it was intended from the beginning of time. And God makes this very clear. This teaching is very clear in Scripture. In fact, Jesus teaches us in Matthew that marriage was always meant to be a lifelong commitment, but because of the sinfulness of the human heart, the sinfulness of humanity, the Bible does does give exceptions regarding divorce. I can think of at least two in Scripture. One is for unrepentant infidelity. If you are being unfaithful to your spouse and you are unrepentant about it, if you continue, it is continual, you don't stop, then there seems to be an exception. That's what Jesus says in Matthew. The other exception is if two people are married and one is a believer, one's an unbeliever, and the unbeliever no longer wants to live with them, if they're no longer content to live with them as their spouse, the believer is to concede and allow them to have a divorce. Not that they are to get the divorce, but to concede to a divorce. Those are, seems to be the two exceptions. 
And so we have to understand that there's a context here in which Jesus is speaking. Jesus is not talking about the exceptions of divorce. He's talking about those who get divorced for any reason whatsoever. Now again, context means everything, right? You need to know that in this context, the Jews had created exceptions for every single reason that they could justify or that they thought of. Also, you'll notice in the text, if a man divorces his wife, it was next to impossible for a wife to divorce her husband in this context. It was clearly men who would dominate in the marriage. They would dominate their wives. And a man could divorce his wife for any reason he saw fit. He could simply walk in the door and say, I'm tired of you. I want a divorce. And that was completely justifiable. The Jewish man is justified in this context. He is free to do as he wants to and he can go and marry another while the woman is left disenfranchised. She has no home, she has no job, she has no way to make money and she is also no longer a desirable mate for anybody else. And this was very common among the Pharisees. The men would divorce their wives for no reason. But what they did was they would do it under the cloak of the law. They would divorce and ruin the woman's life and the man, the men would just go on as normal and they would remarry and they would never miss a beat. Let me, as you think about this context and how the scripture's written, let's think about it in the context of Matthew 19, three through nine. Let's look at this. It says in Pharisees, those, those Pharisees again, they came up to him and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read your Bibles? That's what he's saying. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Listen to what he says. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, well then, 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 you you, you, you tell us, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And listen to what Jesus said. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed. Do you see what they did? They said Moses commanded. God said, no, he didn't. He made an exception. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Here's what they did. They took an exception and made it into a rule. And brothers and sisters, anytime you make the exception the rule, you're always going to abuse it. Anytime you make the exception the rule, you will always abuse it. Let me give you a picture of what was going on. You would have never in this context heard of a Pharisee committing adultery. You would have never heard of them running around on their spouse. You would have never heard of them shacking up with somebody who was not their spouse. This was absolutely unheard of in their Jewish context. What they did was worse. 
If they decided they no longer had affections toward their spouse, what they would do is they would go to their wife. They would just simply say this, you have failed in your duties and responsibilities to me as my wife, and I no longer want to be married with you. You see what they did? They made their affections for somebody else their wife's fault. The reason they commit sexual immorality in their hearts is because their wife has failed. And they're willing to put her away for this. So what they would do, they would have a ceremony. They would publicly declare, this wife has failed to please her husband. She's no longer satisfying him. And therefore, she is dismissed in disgrace. Then he would go to any other woman he would like, set his eyes on her. They would marry and then they would have a ceremony and they would celebrate. And they would say, man, God is good. He's so faithful to give this man finally a woman who pleases him. God is good. And they would do it through ceremony. They would do it under law because he was married. One wife at a time. He was married. And so the woman, uh, he, would, he, would, uh, he would do this and she would be ruined because he abused her. When, you're going to see this. When, you're, when you have a view of money as God, not only will you abuse money, you'll abuse people. This is the context in which he is speaking. They used the law to justify their their adulterous hearts. And they used God's blessing of marriage and turned it into a cloak for their own self-serving needs. Several years ago, I knew a married couple, husband and wife, who were uh, singers. They would sing in church and they were part of a group, like a quartet type group. Southern Gospel, and um, man, they, they just, they looked great, sounded great, looked like a sweet couple. I had the opportunity to talk with the man, and I asked him, I said, hey, well, tell me how y'all met. And he just said, brother, it was divinely ordained. And I said, really? Tell me about that. He said, well... He said, I was married previously, and the wife I was married to, she just didn't want anything to do with music. And man, music's just my love. I just love worshiping the Lord. And she just really wasn't supportive. And, and, and I was singing in this group, and there was a woman here, and, and, and she had the same context. Her husband really didn't like singing and really didn't support her in her ministry and stuff like that. And we were singing together, and the more we got to talking, and we even got to praying together, and we realized that God was pulling us together through a love for music. And he said, uh, so I ended up divorcing my wife. She divorced her husband, and we, we, were, we were married. Man, God's good. You know, the church even celebrated that. It was okay. Because of how they did it under the cloak of worship. But I want you to know something. That was an abomination to God. To use God as a means to justify something that he says from the beginning, it was never meant to be that way. Wow. You see, we can do that too. All of us, if we're not careful, we can be a little Pharisee, can't we? We can have these issues within our hearts. 
They violated the law of God and they broke their marriage covenant and they looked good on the outside. But God knew their heart. Let me give you the big picture of this, this whole context. The Pharisees were in love with their self. They viewed money the same way as they viewed their marriage. It was nothing more than a means to an end. They used both money and marriage to be self-serving. Money does have a purpose. We see this in our text. In the preceding parable, money is to be used generously to bring people to Christ. It is not about who has the most and how much we give, but that you are faithful with what God has given you. Marriage, we see, also has a purpose. Marriage is about being faithful with what God has given to you. Let me say this. I know that there are people, many of you here have been divorced. Let me just say something real quick. Whoever you're married to right now is who you need to stay married to until the day you die. Okay, you need to just know that. Marriage is about being faithful with what you have. It is not about you. It is about giving Christ the glory in your marriage. It is about uh, husbands loving their wives and wives honoring their husbands and forgiving each other and being faithful to each other. And if the Lord so blesses you with children, raise your children together in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Be a testimony of what Christ is to the church in your marriage. Marriage has a purpose and even can be used evangelistically to bring people to Christ. You know, we do date night with a purpose here. My wife, whenever we go on our date, we always leave the little uh, sheet there for our sermon or our marriage discussion. Uh, and we try to uh, talk with the waiter or the waitress and explain to them what we're doing. And we want them to see that, that we are interacting with one another as a believing husband and believing wife. Loving each other, dating each other, pursuing each other. But using that as an opportunity even to point other people to Christ. But just know this. When money is the God of your heart, you'll abuse it and you'll misuse it. And when marriage is about your happiness, you'll abuse it and you'll misuse it too. I understand marriage is not easy. I do. But I want you to know something. God intends for marriage to be a blessing, not a burden. And it is a blessing whenever both husband and wife are seeking Christ, seeking to be pure, seeking to be faithful through the power of Jesus Christ. And what is a burden today can be a blessing if you'll seek Christ. So just know that ultimately it comes back down to the heart. Because the truth is, we can look good on the outside. Facebook has a way of making everything look great. You see Facebook pictures of a husband and wife, and man, it's just always wonderful. And then I get a phone call. It's not so wonderful. We can come to church, we hold hands, we can look great on the outside. But inside, our hearts can be filled with wickedness and evil. Can I just say something? God can see your heart. And on one hand, that's a terrible thing. But let me tell you something what God, what God can also do. He can change your heart. 
And he can give you a new heart and he can give you a, a new way of understanding and a way to love like you have never loved before. God can change who you are from the inside out. Some people get this idea, well, I need to change and be right first so that I can then be right with God. You will never get right with God that way. You have to get right on the heart first before you'll ever be anything on the outside. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless your word and our hearts. Help us to take these things and to examine ourselves. Lord, you have already examined us. There is nothing that is hid from you today. We are fully exposed. You see the motives and the intentions. You see the love of money. And you see the misuse of marriage. You see where both of these things have been violated. And Lord, while you do see the heart, I thank you that you can give us a new heart. You can take these hearts of stones and turn them to hearts of flesh. And I pray for that today. I pray that we would be broken over our sin. And that we, we, we would be able to see that what Christ did on the cross was to remove the burden, to remove the sin, to remove the guilt and the shame. So that we could be brought near to you, O oh God. I pray today that we would do that. I pray that we would give everything we have to you. Help us to give our marriages to you. Help us to give our money to you. Help us to give it all. And to say, God, take what is yours and use it for your glory and for your honor. I want a marriage that pleases you. I want to manage my money in a way that pleases you. And so, Lord, make us faithful with what you have given to us. May you get glory for it. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.